Good morning, saints. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, to be with each of you uh, this morning as we have worshipped. I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We come to a powerful section of scripture that speaks directly to our great salvation and has enormous implication, application to the culture in which we live today. Our approach this morning will be to take one chunk of our text at a time. Uh, as reading the entire text, there's a lot in there, so we're just going to take it bit by bit and talk about it as we go. Today's message is brought to you by the letter F. Uh, more specifically, the word full or derivatives of the same. We will progress through these five concepts this morning in Colossians chapter 2. Full assault. Fullness of deity, fully alive, fully forgiven, and fully victorious. Essentially what Emily just prayed. It spells out all the power and the beauty of the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the constant threat of vain philosophies that would take us captive. So let's begin in chapter 2 of Colossians. We'll begin in verse 8. And I just want to say, as I said, we're going to go right through this passage. I believe I made an error in some of the, um, the verse numbers later on in the sermon. So I'll make sure we are all at the same place. But I noticed that too late. I apologize. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or principles of the world, and not according to Christ. After giving his soaring Christology, in which we understand who Jesus truly is and the beauty of our salvation, we are immediately warned to not be taken captive by current world philosophies that are at work in culture. The Colossians were saved out of a pagan background. There was a constant push that Paul could see of worldly thought that would undermine the truth of the gospel and the simplicity of faith in Christ as they learned to walk with him. The main focus in this passage is directly related to the gospel and being grounded and rooted in the truth And living it out. Paul sees so many elements of worldly philosophy that can harm a Christian's walk with the Lord. It is a strong word that Paul gives. Remember scripture tells us, Romans chapter 12, to renew our minds in the truth. 
So I want you to notice four very direct statements that Paul makes in this verse. See, to it he says that no one takes you captive. The idea here is plunder. Think pirate. See to it that no one plunders your heart and your mind and takes you as the spoil. Spiritual warfare is real. Moms and dads, uncles, aunts, grandparents, all of us, we need to be bathing, especially the younger generation, in our prayers as they establish their walk with the Lord in the truth. Paul speaks of philosophy and empty deceit. What cheers the world on does not satisfy and in the end will only deceive you. Pay attention to that word deceit. Let us forever let go of this idea that the devil will show up in a red suit and a pitchfork. He will not. Scripture says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Coming right up to the truth and giving you a cheap imitation. But oh, sounding so smooth in the process. In speaking about the human philosophies and the vain deceit, they are in accordance to human tradition, not God's word. There is a distinction here. There will always be a distinction between the Lord's truth and the world's truth. And similarly, they are based on elementary principles of man's thinking. Spoiler, and they're not that impressive either. All of this, all of these concepts that he packs into chapter 8, none of them are in accordance with Christ and they should be completely rejected. As one pastor put it, all such philosophy is earthbound and of human origin. Philosophy is merely chasing the truth. If they ever found it, class would be over. But here we are, still in class, in their class. Now, theologian Carl Truman walks us through the development of cultural philosophies at work today in what he calls the expressive self. So I'd like to look very briefly at four individuals that you will likely recognize over the last hundred years or so who have greatly influenced our culture. It will help us understand how our culture, Western culture in general, has been shaped and how we find ourselves at the place that we are now that would be virtually unrecognizable just a generation ago if less number one Charles Darwin the relativization of human nature I'm just going to take a, a brief very very brief summary of each of these 
people, things that they have contributed, if you will, to cultural thought. We are the exalted form of an animal. Now he did so through a powerful medium, and that is science, that impresses people. This rhetoric can be persuasive. But here's what you need to remember. He got rid of human exceptionalism. We are not the crown of God's creation. Nor are we answerable to the one who made us. Because essentially we just evolved over time and here we are. Number two, Karl Marx. You will recognize him, of course, as a socialist revolutionary. Mid-1800s, an economist. But there's something that Karl Marx impressed and it became embedded almost into cultural thought regarding morality. We could summarize it this way. Morality is essentially a function of the ruling class to normalize behavior in the lower class that is necessary to keep the lower class working smoothly so the upper class can live their life. Big takeaway. Moral imperative does not come from God but it's there just as long as it helps us live a better life. Number three, Nietzsche, late 1800s. Famous statement, God is dead. His concept was this. The Enlightenment got rid of God. But those philosophers haven't gone far enough and haven't taken us to where we need to be. There is no God, he said, he postulated, so therefore everything, everything is up for grabs. There's no transcendence. You cannot appeal to God telling us to do anything. You are, lowercase g, God yourself. Life is worth living, he would postulate, but it's meaningless. Make yourself a great piece of art. Go for all the gusto. Go out with a bang. He would break with convention. Number four, Sigmund Freud. Crossing into the 1900s, he is the father of psychoanalysis. Many of his theories have long since been debunked. Not all of them, but many of them. But there is a key thought that has permeated into Western thought as a result of Freud. And that is that sex is at the heart of what it means to be human from cradle to grave. It is the fundamental continuity from infancy through elderly years. Listen. He opened the way conceptually for our passions and for our desires to serve as our true identity, not merely outward 
behavior. He opened the way conceptually for our passions, our desires, our thoughts, our ideas about ourselves, our interests, and so forth to become our true, in his words, his, our true identity. Now, the gospel runs counter to every single one of the things I have just said. There is indeed one with a capital O who makes the rules because he is God. He rules the universe. As one of my professors once said, if you would like to uh, rule the universe, go make one and have fun. The core of the gospel, listen, the core of the gospel is that we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred by his grace into the kingdom of the son that he loves, Jesus Christ. It is his rulership, his reign. We are his disciples indeed, Jesus said, if we abide in his word. So Paul circles back and states bluntly what he has been saying all along. Do you remember the soaring Christology from chapter 1? Jesus is our Savior. He is mighty to save. He is God. Let's look at chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Having spoken about the philosophies that were pushing in on the church at the day and will continue to do so until the Lord returns. Verse 9, for in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That is the truth. That is gospel truth. He is the one who came to our Savior to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and the vain deceit and philosophies that we find in the world today. The fullness of deity in bodily form. He came to our rescue. Only one could do this. Emmanuel God with us who said I am the way I am the truth and I am the life no one comes to the father but through me do not says Paul let anyone take you captive and teach you otherwise about Jesus Christ He is not merely a good man, an inspirational teacher, another prophet along the way. He is your creator and all judgment has been given to him. Acts 16 verse 30. Yes, people will stand before their creator whether or not they choose to believe he exists on this end of eternity. Your Savior is great, and He is God. Let's read verse 11. 
In him, in Christ, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses. God made you alive. Only God can do this. Now, do you remember as we traverse through the letter to the Ephesians, there is this beautiful phrase that defines a Christian. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Do you see how often he uses it here as well? In him or in Christ. This is our true identity. It is what defines me. There are all kinds of things about Colin that you may or may not find interesting, but I could not care less about any of them because I am in Christ. That is my identity. I have been made alive together with Christ. Who could take me from being dead in my sins to being fully alive? Only God can do that. We are united with him in life and in death. Praise the Lord. Now, What does it mean or what does it look like to be fully alive? What does it look like to be fully alive and to be in Christ? I'm glad you asked. Let's continue where we left off. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, having nailed it to the cross. My saints, my friends, who are saints. What it means to be alive in Christ is to be fully and absolutely forgiven of all of our sins. Not some, not most, not just the past, but the future as well. That is specifically what Emily prayed for, prayed towards. That's freedom. That is victory. To be fully and absolutely forgiven of all of our sins. What a wonderful Savior. Now listen, a wonderful Savior accomplishes wonderful results. You are completely free in Christ. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none. This is Christian theology at its finest. We'll touch a little bit on legalism next week. Do not let anyone take you captive on this point here. You are fully alive in Christ. You cannot become unalive because you are united with Christ and he lives forever. The slate is completely wiped clean and that brings such joy, such freedom. We have been forgiven of all of our trespasses and all of our sins. Jesus paid it all, but let us not stop there. Because there's another verse left. Verse 15. I'll read the last phrase. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Every time I look into God's law, I see that I have broken it in so many ways. It stands against me in the sense that it reminds me over and over again of how many times I have fallen short. But that is the beauty of the gospel. Christ kept the law perfectly. That's his active obedience. Christ died for our sins. That is our past. That is his passive obedience. The perfect sacrifice. The law no longer has power over me. I've been set free from the penalty of sin. When I look at God's law, I am no longer condemned. It does not have legal sway over me. Because Christ kept it. Christ died for me. And I am now in Christ. It's all been settled at the cross. No more guilt. No more shame. Conviction, yes. Shame and guilt, no. I feel sorrow when I disobey God. For sure, his spirit convicts me of my sin, but he does not shame me, nor does he invoke me to feel guilty. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. I want to do better next time. And by God's grace, I want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Because I am forgiven, I am freed from the penalty of my sin. Because I am alive and forever united with Jesus, I am free from the power of sin. So, do you remember the old hymn, Victory in Jesus? It is one of my favorites. I heard an old, old story. How a savior came from glory. And the entire note of that hymn is victory. Victory in Jesus because of what he has done for me. The demonic forces and power at work in our world, they have been disarmed. Jesus won, they lost. The shame you have carried, you no longer carry. They have been shamed. 
They do not have authority over you and death has lost its sting. God has triumphed over them by the cross. It is complete, complete victory. Now sings, from the beginning of time, the world, the devil, has offered its empty promises and philosophies that literally will lead us to nowhere, if not destruction. The deceptive philosophies of the world most often lead us uh, most lead us counter to the word of God and to the truth of Jesus. Do not let anyone take you captive by these empty and deceptive philosophies. Ground yourself in God's word. The heart of discipleship. Know who you are in Christ. Your true identity. And know that you serve a great Savior. You serve a wonderful and a beautiful and a glorious and a powerful Savior. Know that your true self and your true life is found in Christ. And know that he will never, ever leave you and he will never forsake you. You are forgiven and you are truly alive in Christ. Because he is victorious. You are victorious in Christ. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer? drumbeat should only ever get stronger and stronger ground yourself in the truth of God's word know what God says about you and believe it and live there know that the devil is deceptive he will always seek to trip you up he will always seek to deceive you And to pull you away from the truth of God's word. When we are confident in who we are in Christ. That is where we thrive. And that is where the joy is found. That is where the joy is found. If you have never placed your faith, your confidence, your trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, when you believe in me, you pass from death unto life. Believing and acknowledging full well that you are indeed a sinner. That you cannot rectify your problem. But Christ has been offered. Christ suffered and died in our place and rose again. Would you put your faith, your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ today as your Savior? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for the gospel. You did in the gospel what only you could do. Delivering us from the lies, from the guilt, from the shame, from the darkness. From that entire realm, you delivered us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have placed us into the kingdom of your dear son. Oh Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage us as we walk with you in a very crooked generation. That we would be known as truth tellers. That we would love those around us in the most profound way. Because by this will all men know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Give us boldness and clarity and courage to speak the truth in love. Father, our prayer always is that if, that, if there be but one person who has not come to faith in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.